0: We are continuing our study of America and God. We have talked about the Founding Fathers. We've talked about the desire to take God out of every vestige of our society. This morning I want us to think about the trend in our nation away from God. Because what we are doing is we are living in a time of confusion. And a time of misinformation. And as a society, we are at a crossroads. If you've been watching the debates, if you've been following the news, if you look at the news reports, you have to be concerned. I don't want to spend a lot of time this morning thinking about all the negative things that are happening in this world. We've established that the courts have said we can't pray at football games. Some folks still do it, though. We know that there are those that have filed lawsuits because of scriptures on banners at football games. We know that there are those that have filed lawsuits to keep the Ten Commandments out of the classroom, to keep the monuments or uh, carvings of the Ten Commandments off of public property. For nearly 30 years, it's been legal to murder babies still in the womb. And that puzzled me. Have you ever thought about that? If you're on a gurney in a hospital and your heart stops beating, the doctor says, What? You're dead. So if your heart stops beating and the doctor says you're dead, why is it that when you can hear the heartbeat of a baby in the womb, why is that baby not declared alive? Because it's not politically expedient for some people. The only thing I can think of is if you're considered dead on a gurney by a doctor, but you're not considered alive when you can hear a heartbeat in the womb, it's determined by a government bureaucrat. I read an interesting story along those lines not long ago. A wealthy man lay critically ill. And the doctor said, There's only one thing that can save you. The man said, What's that? He said, A brain transplant. It's experimental and it's very expensive. The man was quite wealthy. He said, Money's no object. Can you get a brain? The doctor said there are three brains available. The first that we have available is from a university professor. It'll cost you $10,000. Don't worry, I can pay that. What's the second? Well, the second one is a rocket scientist. And it'll cost you $100,000. He said, I've got the money, and I'd be a lot smarter. What about the third? Well, the third one is from a government bureaucrat. And it'll set you back half a million dollars. The man said, "Well, I don't understand. A professor's is 10,000, a rocket scientist, 100,000. Why is it half a million dollars for a government bureaucrat's brain?" The patient said. The doctor said simply, "It's never been used." That pretty much sums up how a lot of folks feel about our government today. It's hard to have a lot of respect. For people that you consider to be brainless, witless, and perhaps at the same time spineless. Especially when those same people are trying to also make all of us penniless. We know that there are those that would remove every vestige of God from society. We've spent some time establishing the fact that our founders had a strong Judeo-Christian faith. Now as I've said, and I want to repeat it, America, in the strictest sense of the term, was never a Christian nation. Not in the sense that the majority of its people were baptized in the New Testament manner. But, in the sense of America espousing Judeo-Christian principles, we were a Christian-oriented nation. But over the last half century, there has been a definitive trend away from God in our nation and in our world. We talked about the 1963 court case, Engel v. Vitale in the United States Supreme Court. In that decision, the court ruled it was unconstitutional to start the school day with a prayer. And then in 1963, it was declared unconstitutional to begin the school day with Bible reading. Once upon a time, having a baccalaureate service at the end of the school year was a common practice. It was something that most colleges, universities, and high schools did. In effect, in a baccalaureate service, a preacher was called in just prior to the student's graduation. His mission was to bring those students a final message from the Word of God. In fact, it was at my high school baccalaureate that I heard a, a preacher talk about, about Lot riding down the streets of Sodom in his brand new Cadillac. Painted a vivid word picture for us. But this practice of a bac- baccalaureate service is in a noticeable decline and it is actually becoming extinct. I wonder sometimes how long it's going to be before the phrase, in God we trust, disappears from our coinage and our currency. In fact, under the separation clause, which does not exist, you wonder how long it is before some secular progressive group introduces a bill to eliminate the chaplains from the United States Senate. How long is it going to be before someone proposes that we no longer have chaplains in our military? How long before the presidential oath of office is administered without the use of the Bible? Our drift away from God in America is a strong one. It's not even a drift anymore. We're in the rapids. And in many instances, a minority voice, a minuscule minority voice, has been sufficient to do away with time honored practices that the majority of people want to continue. Good people need to make a stand. And pray the tendencies of the past do not continue and do not keep growing. I remember in the 1960s when you had the God is dead movement and it was in its heyday. I remember also a song, I have the sheet music to it, a song that my good friend Robert S. Arnold wrote. I'm not going to sing it for you. I could, but I'm not. But Brother Arnold's song was, Sorry about your God, my God is living now. God is not dead. But what we have is an absence of religious training in America of the 21st century. In the lives of literally millions of our young people, there is absolutely no religious training that exists. And in our large universities, the trend is definitely toward atheism. Now visualize in your mind what these sprawling public institutions look like. Large campuses, high-rise dormitories, giant classroom lecture halls. Huge field houses, massive stadiums that'll seat 90 and 100,000 people. Enrollments of 30, 40, and 50,000 on one campus are not uncommon. And someday they'll have in-class, in-person learning again and not just virtual classrooms. But no doubt the general educational practices in these universities are among the finest in the world. But there is one glaring blind spot. And that is religious and moral instruction. Our training and our education of these people, young people in science and social studies and communications and a lot of other areas is excellent. But in the area of life values, ethical principles and morality, it is tragically deficient. And it's also disturbing the double standard that exists on the majority of these campuses. Under the principle of academic freedom and under the principle of freedom of speech, communists can go and speak on these university campuses. And when they do, they command respectable audiences. On the same campuses where a communist is welcome, the preacher is not welcome. There are announced communists and socialists who occupy responsible faculty positions. And similarly, socialists, atheists, moral anarchists, and radicals of all kinds are committed to speak their destructive heresies. And yet, religion and the teaching of morality are largely fenced out and banned. Perhaps a reminder of an elementary fact in growing a garden is appropriate here. If you don't plant flowers in the garden, you're going to have weeds. And in the training of young people in our universities and colleges in this great nation, if we don't plant flowers of faith, self-control, honesty, integrity, high purpose, personal commitment, and things like that, we're going to have inevitably the moral degeneracy that has become so apparent throughout our great land. As a result of the absence of moral and religious instructions in the lives of masses of young America, our nation is in serious peril, my friend. Look at the rising crime rate in our largest cities. There is and there has been a breakdown of the home. And we're thinking not just of divorce, but the decline of parental authority, With all of the attendant problems that come with that. We're also thinking of literally thousands of homes where there is no father to guide the rearing of the young. There is rebellion and anarchy among the people of this nation as never before. We've seen it with mobs in the streets. People protesting laws they do not like. And not just protesting, but turning into violent street mobs. Looting and burning and committing all manner of mayhem. They choose to protest and to riot. And to destroy people's lives and property. Rather than in a proper legal manner change the laws that they're opposed to. We have, in this nation today, espoused a new morality, which is, in effect, the absence of morality. And this new morality blatantly claims that chastity and virtue that the world has recognized as binding for centuries is no longer respected. Immoral, degrading entertainment is advertised openly. Immodest, suggestive dress is condoned everywhere. There is an alarming growth of alcoholism. Drug addiction is on the increase. More and more people are clamoring for the legalization of drugs in our nation. You can watch Hollywood celebrities and you can watch athletes get on television and make pronouncements of how they feel about things and use the most vile, foul language, having things in their mouth I wouldn't carry around in my pocket. And the result of this lack of moral and religious training is astounding. And it's getting worse. The only foundation upon which morality and ethics can effectively be built, is and always has been religion. There can be no successful teaching of basic morality and ethics apart from religion. You take religion out of the picture, you do away with God, and there is no right or wrong. There is no absolute standard. It becomes a matter of personal preference. It becomes a matter of situation ethics. It becomes a matter of whatever one wants to do. It becomes what was in existence in the book of Judges where the closing verse of the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If that doesn't describe what goes on with the mobs in our streets today, I don't know what does. Without God, and without the Bible. Try convincing someone they ought not lie, cheat, or steal. There are folks that'll tell you pointedly that they find out that they found out that cheating in school pays off because you get better grades. Lying gets folks advantages they wouldn't have if they stuck to the truth. Ask any politician. Stealing provides a lot of things for folks without much effort provided you're clever enough to pull it off. Try telling young people today they ought not be immoral. And you know what they'll do? They'll quickly remind you just how primitive and old-fashioned you are. And they'll let you know that they are no longer fettered by worn-out superstitions. They're not bound by meaningless codes that have held humanity back for centuries. Unless there is a God in heaven who has announced a code of principles by which men and women are to live, there is no ultimate hope of high moral and ethical behavior. And if there is no standard of absolute right and wrong, if there is no day of reckoning, if there are no rewards and no punishments, there is little motivation toward high ethical and moral living that we've known in the past. We need to remember what the basic strength of this nation grew out of. It came from our religious motivation and reverence and respect for God and His will. The early colonists came to America because of their religious faith. And upon their arrival, they knelt in prayer. Their lives were guided by the bedrock principles of honesty and integrity. They had a love for their fellow man. They had a willingness to sacrifice for their spiritual values. Departing from these foundational principles, what we have done in America is planted the seeds for the ultimate destruction of our nation. Now, it is quite true. Our founding fathers insisted on a separation of church and state. That's the way the Constitution was written. Because those wise men, in that far off day, had seen state religions at their worst in the old country. And they wanted to have no part of that deadness. They wanted no part of that autocratic, dictatorial control of the people. Now, stay with me. While it's true our founding fathers insisted upon the separation of church and state, it is equally true they did not mean to eliminate the practical affirmation of the Christian faith from any phase of American life, including government. And that's a concept that leaders in our modern era seem to not have the mental capacity to grasp. Our founding fathers left to the church the responsibility of propagating the Christian religion, not to the state. But our founding fathers showed over and over that they meant for religion to be the foundation upon which this new nation would be built. That's why our coins say, in God we trust. That's why our Congress has its chaplains. And every session begins with an appeal to God to guide the legislators. Religious property is exempt from taxation. Trust me, there are some that would change that tomorrow if they had their way. But in countless ways, our founding fathers showed their affirmative feelings toward religion and morals. And the present day interpretation of our Constitution seems to be set to eliminate all aspects of religion and moral emphasis from government. And that is not the feeling of those who brought our nation into being and led this nation to greatness. But this trend away from God is not a new trend. It is something that fools have always promoted. David wrote in the long ago, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Jehovah looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek after God. They are all gone aside. They are together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Psalms chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. The Old Testament prophets lived in a time of Spiraling prosperity. An era not unlike the era we have lived in. And as people lived more luxuriously, they turned from God. Go read the Old Testament. The chief task of the prophets of old was calling men back to God. Calling men to the moral and ethical behavior of the will of God. Here's what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 1. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the lamb, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of Jehovah hath spoken it. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 17 through 19 and verse 20. The basic truth is as the wise men wrote in Proverbs. Righteousness exalteth a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. But, Jesus Christ also lived in a time when men were turning away from God. Rome. The world capital in the days of Jesus had no time for God and no knowledge of God. The Roman Empire was an empire run according to pagan standards. And the Jews had largely turned their backs upon the precepts of Jehovah as they had become more and more wealthy and more and more comfortable. It was into this situation that Jesus Christ came To show mankind the way to reverse the trend, and the way to save the world from ruination. And Jesus began in the only way it's possible to begin. He began with the individual. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son, From the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in John chapter 14 and verse 6, we hear this divine Son of God call men to become His followers. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. A little band of men saw the glory of the kind of life Jesus offered, and they followed. And the radiance and strength of their lives caused others to follow. And the movement began. And that is the hope of our world today. Each of us who believes in the God of heaven, in the divinity of Jesus Christ, in the inspiration of the Bible, and in the great principles of Christianity must speak up. We must speak up in word and in life. And we can reverse the trend of our day away from God and religion. The most powerful influence our world has ever known has been the power of Jesus Christ. And as the power of Jesus Christ shines through our lives. Nothing is impossible. The wealth and the power of ancient paganism was no match for the radiant force in the lives and the message of first century Christians. Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. A sick, unhappy, Confused, despairing world is waiting for our message. And we need to be up and doing it. This little poem comes out of the 1700s, and yet it's been a clear truth for us in the 21st century. It's especially true for us in America right now in the summer of our discontent and this election season and these times of turmoil and unrest. One man awake, awakens another. The second awakens his next-door brother. The three awake can rouse a town by turning the whole place upside down. The many awake can make such a fuss that it finally awakens the rest of us. One man up, with dawn in his eyes, multiplies. It's time for us to wake up, and it's time for us to wake up our brother next door. Our time is gone. Until we're together again, may the Lord richly bless and keep you. is our prayer in Jesus' name.